Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. I'm your host, Craig, and we are back in the saddle with another Spurs victory this week. It has been a while, but we are ready to talk about it. Before we get to that, though, I want to remind you to follow our Twitter account at WDR Podcast and leave us five stars on iTunes or Spotify because we're very good boys and we deserve it. And, you know, we're here to celebrate a Spurs win. You should celebrate a Spurs win by giving us a nice review. Without further ado, we are here to talk about Tottenham Hotspur 3, Leicester City, and I wish I could pronounce it L-S-T-E-R, but I suppose that's half the joke, that it's exactly the same pronunciation. Uh, Leicester City 1. So joining me this week, we have all of our regular boys back back together again. It is coming to us live from Miami, presumably ready to drive to survive this weekend. It is Brian Ashlock. Brian, how are you doing? Uh, good. I didn't get that joke. So well, there's, to... there's an F1 race in Miami this weekend. Are you, are you ready just, to, you know, every, everybody really got into F1 during the pandemic and I watched one season of that Netflix show and fell asleep every time I tried. So, you know, yeah, I wasn't having a lot of luck watching races until I watched, I happened to have one on the background when my son was my, my one and a half year old son at the time. Uh, was was watching it and then he's proceeded to watch it for 10 minutes in a row and just kept saying vroom vroom and then he would wave hi and bye at the cars as they passed so you know it's a good thing to distract him with on Sunday mornings for me yeah I mean I just think that cars shouldn't turn right like they should only turn left when they're (laughs) racing at that speed and um, I won't stand for it At moving to uh, another motor speedway further up, uh, further north, it is Ben Daniels coming to us from. I don't know what what, what what's is there is there a racetrack in Atlanta, Ben? I honestly don't know. I don't know. It's oh, it's definitely on, called Atlanta Motor Speedway, guys. <laughs> uh, I'm, thank right. you, Brian. Thank you, Brian. Look, I had to live in Daytona for a year uh, earlier in my life. I, anything to do with race cars, I'm just no. Did you just live in the in the in the um? The green in the middle of the racetrack is that I assume that's where <laughs> that's, everyone in Daytona lives. That's really, yep. Oh, so yeah, so we have a fun game to talk about. It's been a minute. I, hopefully, we won't have any. Um, you know, we won't have to have another therapy session this week. Spurs three, Leicester one. This was uh, kind of following the blueprint, I thought, of those games that, or at least the the pacing of those games that we were when we were just like rattling off six or seven wins in a row or whatever it was where it took us a little bit to grow into the game we were probably a little bit fortunate to be on top at the end of the first half and then um or early in the game and then we just sort of waxed them in the second half i know this is a little different because lester was playing a week inside due to their um uh conference league semifinal for which we have nothing but solidarity for um please beat jose Mourinho. Uh, um but still it was a it, it was another game that Spurs sort of took a while to grow into, and then it felt like we really started to throttle them. Uh, ben, was this a welcome sort of respite from the last couple of performances we've had for you? 
you know, it's like I'm I'm just so sick of the yo-yoing. Um, we had such a doom and gloom conversation last week, and yeah, it feels pretty good. I know we're gonna get our asses kicked by Liverpool this weekend. We're gonna be right back here being like, yeah, well, that that's at least at least a little more understandable than doing it against Brighton, right? Wait till you see just the heartbreaking fashion that it happens in Greg. Mm. No, but this game, other than other than Lucas Mora starting, um, you know, was was a pretty good day at the office, and I think. Like, 55 minutes of Lucas did so much for Kulishevsky's reputation. And then 30 minutes of Kulishevsky did even more to solidify that, you know, if he hits a rough patch like he did against Brentford and Brighton, we still should persist with him because he's clearly got the tools uh, to get us where we need to go. Or maybe, maybe he just needs, like, if he has a rough patch, it's like, you just got to sit behind Lucas for 55 minutes and that'll get you going all over again. Right. Nothing is more motivating than seeing that fucking jackass dribble down blind alleys for <laughs> an hour. But even with Lucas, I thought it was like a better perform. I mean, obviously we were way better. I mean, we really started to turn the screws when Kulishevsky came on, but I thought this was just overall better. And I don't know. I mean, Brian, do you feel like that was more down to Spurs or more down to Lester sort of resting a bunch of their guys? Or is it a little bit of both? Yeah, a little column A, a little column B. Um, you know, I mean, Leicester still had a lot of possession. They they had a lot of the ball. They just didn't really do anything with it, I thought. Um, you they know, had that one shot that Iannaccio, Lloris saved, but other than that, I mean. You know, they had that one, and then obviously they have the goal, which comes, what, in, in stoppage time. So, um yeah, it just felt like a game where, to me, both teams <laughs> were, weren't that interested or weren't that effective, at least uh, in Spurs, uh, in, on the part of Spurs for the first part of the game. Like Ben said, once Kulisewski comes on, then we, we got things cranked up. But I don't know. It took a kind of a, a set piece um, that Lester just didn't bother marking people on um, for us to get the goal. And... I don't know. It was the game ended up being comfortable and great, and the results awesome. But like, I don't know. We we didn't look like good until Kulisevsky came on. So Ben, what is it about? I mean, we've talked about how great he is, but I, I want to zoom in on it because I think it's really worth discussing. Because you know, I, I you could argue that Spurs' downturn in form came with Kulisevsky's downturn in form. What makes Kulisevsky? such a good part of this Tottenham team? What makes him such an important part and a successful part of this Tottenham team? Sure. I mean, I think he is one of the few players, especially with our wingback situation being what it is, who provides uh, an outlet. You know, he's a guy who can get on the ball and he can move it upfield. You know, he has great ball control. He has great vision. He, you know, is an effective passer. Like, he's just... When he gets the ball, he knows what he's going to do with it, he, and he can execute. Um, you know, and we just don't, especially in the absence of legend Matt Doherty, uh, we just don't have anyone else uh, to do that. It's just Doberto Carlos. Yeah, you know, we've just talked so much about how how much he brings to the table in that relationship with Kane and Son. Um, and having another guy who can provide for them and having a guy who can, you know, free up Harry Kane to not have to do passing from deep all the time and actually get in the box and make runs and get shots. Um, 
you know, and he's a guy who can get shots himself. Uh, he is, yeah, he's just a really special player. And it's so weird that he had the season that he did before he got to us. This game made me think, realize there's something else that's really important about Kulishevsky that I hadn't realized before, which is he is a slow player with a fat ass who keeps putting other players on their on their asses, and that's got to be demoralizing for if you're if you're like a you know flying wingback for Leicester or something, and you just get put on your ass by Kulishevsky. That that can't be good for your self confidence because that guy like runs about as fast as you know like Ledley King in his last year, and he's just constantly just like tripping dudes up. It's really fun to watch. I don't think he's that slow. Yeah. yeah, I I mean he he look, I don't know. he's not moving that fast and he's putting guys on their rears, man. It's like he's not beating you I off mean, the dribble. He's just tripping you up with his techers. That, I mean that may be true, but I mean he's not like he's not Lucas, but he's also not Ben Davies. Like he's he's somewhere in the middle. And you know, I I think the thing that I like about him is uh you don't lose the try hard aspect. Um, that you have when you put on someone like a, a Lucas Mora or uh, in years gone by and Eric Lamella, like, you know, he, he gives all effort all the time. And then he's also just like really technically good. And um, yeah, if he were just like a little bit more of a shithouse, it would be, he'd be perfect. I think. I'm kind of amazed he's able to knit together our attacks so well from the right. And some of it is obviously because he does that. He kind of does what Kane's been doing for the last few years, which is he like he'll drop deep, like Ben was saying, progress the ball or move it forward. But I I don't know. I guess I just always thought that if we were gonna have someone who knitted the attack, they had to be someone who sort of played behind the striker at least in deep midfield. But the way he sort of does that within that attacking band, I think is really impressive. I mean, it's very similar to the way when Erickson was playing off the left in the pre-sunny mm-hmm. days. You know, yeah. where he was able to dictate the way David Silva did at Man City. You know, you get those David, guys. David who, Silva. Who's that? I don't understand. Sorry. David Silva. <laughs> David. Yes, there we go. Um, you know, yeah, he's just a very talented, creative player who happens to be a wide man. Do you and think, think you know, there, there's a lot of talk about we need more creative midfielders next year? And I think that's probably true on some level are you worried about if we bring in i'm just going to use his name because i think we all wanted to happen but i think it might be likely if we bring an erickson in next year i mean do you think he fits in a system with is, is that going to affect kulishevsky at all or do you think that's only something that could benefit everybody involved yeah i mean i think it's tough to work erickson into a midfield two alongside any of skip bencor or hoybjerg like i, I mean he's not doing his scut work i mean at this point in his career. Yeah. I mean, he still like works hard and seems, you know, athletic, but it's just, especially for a full season, like that's not really viable. So you're going to need to either make Kulishevsky a wing back, uh, and play, play him further forward. You're sick. You're or, sick. You have a sickness <laughs> or play a midfield three and, you know, either sacrifice a center back or sacrifice a, a forward. Um, and either of those, you know, again, we're going to have a lot of games, whether it's Europa League or Champions League. We've got cups. So we have rotation. Like, I mean, Erickson is probably not going to be a 50-game-a-season starter next season if we sign him. So I think it's just you work him in where you can. 
But presumably, I mean, if we get someone in midfield who can pass it a little more effectively, that would only, you know, I mean, I, I don't know if it would take stuff off his plate, but it would just, it would make everything tick over a little, a little bit better. I mean, I think you could see what happened when Kulishevsky was off the last two weeks. Yeah, I mean, if we have like, um, I don't know, uh, James Ward-Prowse, maybe that would be great. Maybe if he was a left back or something, right? Right back. James Ward-Prowse has played right wing back in his time at Southampton, so don't knock it. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I mean, we talk about this a lot. We just need more guys who are capable of advancing the ball, and with bad wing backs, with limited central midfielders, and with no Kulusevski, it's just. Or a bad Kulishevsky, it's just not not pretty. Um, so get I, mean, I think somewhere who can do that. I think there are ways that you can introduce passing and ball progression into this team that still leave you with a very conservative central midfield. And so I don't buy that we necessarily have to bring in a creative midfielder. I think like I don't know as an option to switch things up, it'd be uh, worth considering. Um, you know, I don't like that our passing midfielder off the bench is Harry Winks. You know, like if we're chasing a game and need someone to unpick a lock or, or do something nice, like having a player like an Erickson or a Tangi Ndombele or whoever the case may be, like that's a useful thing to have or and for rotation and all that. But like you can get a better passing, you know, central defender to replace, you know, either Davies or Dyer. You can get wing backs that m- dribble or pass you can you know there's stuff you can do well do you think skip could and i'm going to confess it's been so long that my memory is sort of deserting me a little bit on how Conte used him i know he's he's obviously an all-action defensive midfielder i mean is he someone who could progress the ball by i mean dribble the ball forward a little bit but i I know skip's passing range isn't at least not yet the at the level we're talking about for these other players but is he someone who could solve some of these problems I think you're going to need a lot from Skip to do that. I mean, we saw towards the end of his time with us fit is his passing range was starting to get a little more expansive. He started being more comfortable on the ball and with the speed of the league to, you know, make room for himself to, to pick those passes. And he's got a motor and like, you know, he was getting very eager, bursting up the pitch. He's not a guy who's like beating you on the dribble with like technique, but like he's strong and quick and athletic that like he can, get the ball up there if he chooses to run with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. If I think he's him. more like in the mold of what we're doing right now. I agree. You know, that. yeah. where, you know, he's a rotation piece so that Benton Curra and Hoiberg don't have to, or, or one of those two is the rotation piece, whatever. Like yeah. you have three guys that essentially, you know, can make up a solid two man midfield. And then you need a, your fourth option needs to be like, a better version of Harry Winks, either like a young one that has potential or someone like, I don't know, Telemans or, you know, not necessarily him. Cause why would he come here? Um, but you know, somebody like that who will approach score fat. If God knows what Conte thinks of him. Yeah. I mean, he, he's a, he, he was apparently a very chubby little dude, um, but uh, he's I mean, pretty good. <laughs> Pretty good. Um, but, yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, I, I think, you know, uh, that would be much further down my priority list if I'm Paratici and um, and Levy. But there are a lot of good midfielders right now. So, you know, I don't know. Well, I, I want to not get carried away because I think this game was really fun to watch. And I don't want to 
stop talking about that. Uh, let's talk about, I think, the star of the show. Uh, someone who I think we appreciate, but maybe don't appreciate enough sometimes because Harry Kane is here. But Hunming Son, who had another outstanding game, probably one of the best goals we've seen this season with, with his second. Uh, but two goals and an assist with Harry Kane. Just, that, God, what a phenomenal pl- player. I've said this before. I think there is sort of no one... No one sort of, I think, personifies the shifting power dynamics of North London better than Son. Because I think Son is exactly the kind of player that Arsenal would have signed in, like, you know, 2005, 2004. Like, he's the kind of guy they would have picked out who was going to overperform expectations. And he's done that for us, and it's been great. And he loves to be here. He's, yeah, there's just nothing that isn't charming and wonderful about Son. And, And this game was you know, another example of sort of what he brings to the table. And, you know, I don't know if we're ever going to get a transfer fee for him, but I don't really care at this point because, you know, he keeps producing. He keeps, you know, just being, I think, probably our second most important player. Maybe third, depending on how you want to look at Kulishevsky. But, I mean, just, I mean, I read somewhere that he had, he has the most non-penalty goals in the Premier League over the last two years, which is, I think that's like not super surprising if you think about this season, but over two seasons, I am a little bit surprised at that. Just, I mean, God, I, I, don't, I don't have a question I'm going to ask here, but Ben, do you want to talk about what a phenomenal player Son is? Because he's just, it, it was just a joy to watch him this week. Yeah, I mean, he's had a fantastic season. He's a lovely man. You know, his interview after the game, he was asked about like his increased goal scoring and you know he very genuinely was like yeah I don't really care how many goals I'm scoring it's all about the team and getting the result and like he's a guy when you say that like you know it's not bullshit like I think he genuinely feels that he doesn't care if he's scoring 100 goals if he's scoring five goals as long as he's contributing to the win and the team's good he's happy whereas if Harry Kane said that you'd know he was lying to you because all it's about his goal um and, you know, it's just like, it's, it's just to have a guy who is such a like star caliber player present himself so humbly and so with such gratitude for the fans and for the team is just like, I mean, he's, he's perfect. He's just a, a perfect creature. Well, I, I've said before on this podcast how happy I am that like, I think at this point in the son's career that, you know, maybe aside from the Korean national team, when he is retired and not at an active player anymore, Spurs are going to be the first team that you think of when you think of Son. And part of the reason that makes me happy is not just because he's a lovely player that I'm happy to have associated with our team, but he seems to be someone who really appreciates being here and appreciates how well he is received. And I think after, you know, and I, 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 you know, I think after last summer with Kane and I tend to think Kane's going to spend the bulk of his prime with Spurs at this point, I think that's made me appreciate Son a lot more, like just how, I don't want to say grateful because that's assuming things, but he just seems to enjoy being here so much that, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard not to appreciate him and how much he brings to the table. And, you know, I really hope that he comes away with a golden boot this year. I think that's going to be sort of tough sledding. Um, I think that's going to be hard to keep up with. I would like to think that he might start getting some penalties uh, for the rest of the season, given that it's within reach, but I doubt that'll happen unless it's, maybe the last week of the season and he, and all he needs is another goal or two, but it's been, I mean, you know, he just, he's such a good goal scorer and he's, 
I, I think he's wildly underrated um, outside of Spurs fans and probably even a little bit among Spurs fans because, you know, Kane is such a prolific goal scorer. I mean, he's just, he's so, he's so good. Um, yeah. Brian. I mean, you know, he's, he's what, he's three goals behind Salah right now. And yeah. Salah has five or six penalties that he's scored this year for Liverpool, I think was what. So if we're going on non-penalty goals, Son is winning. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, he was really good in this game. Um, you know, his movement all game was good. Um, I, he has he takes the corner that leads to Kane's goal. Um, you know, the the third goal. Was, I, I don't know. I've just never. <laughs> it's it's not very often you see a hit that nice. Like that's just it, it was perfect. There was nothing anybody could have done about that. Even if Schmeichel had been positioned perfectly, uh, he, there was nothing he could have ever done about that. There's something special uh, about a goal like that, right? Because it's not like it's all technique. It's not like it's not the result of you know some tactics or whatever. It's just he literally hit it yeah. perfectly. Like I mean, there's just you cannot place the ball any better on that strike than he did. Yeah, and I I think that goal is more impressive than the one that won the the Pushkas award, the way he dribbles the entire Burnley team, because that's the the goal part of that is is not that interesting. He'd already he did all the hard work, you know, seventy yards ago. But I mean, like the goal part of this goal is really. Well, I think good. that's I think that's one of the things that makes Sun so impressive as a goal scorer is like as a goal scorer. I mean, he really, I mean, maybe with the exception of like headers, like, I mean, he does it all. Like, I mean, you know, like think about that, uh, that goal against Villa where Kane does that sort of one look header that puts him through. It's like, he, he's great. You know, if he gets like through on goal, you know, it's like, like he can beat guys at a foot race to like get one-on-one with the keeper. He can make excellent sort of directed shots with like his first goal in this game where he sort of cuts it across the face of goal and gets it past all these people he gets into really good positions i mean he really like i said aside from like maybe getting in the middle on on corners or set pieces when part of that's because he's the one delivering those i mean he really does it all as a goal scorer i mean i think the thing for me honestly like the second goal i like his first goal i like better than his second goal because i feel like so many of son's goals are just fucking bangers like that like he is one of the best outside the box shooters in the world of all time like he scores those with an outrageous frequency and like yes that was a particularly good example of it but i think what's we don't get to see as much of from sun because it's either him scoring outside the box or bursting through um you know behind the lines is his heads up like close play in the box is I think a really underrated part of his game and the presence of mind to like let that ball roll across his body, turn on it and then cut it back between two defenders into the far post. Like that's a really hard technical kind of goal that, you know, you, you see Kane score a lot, but we don't get a lot of that. I think from son. And it's just a, it's just a, it's just a reminder of like, God, yeah, he really can't do fucking everything. Whereas, you know, we saw Gareth Bale score goals like that all the time. Maybe not quite that good, but, you know. Guy, well, I think Son's done more for the team than Bale ever did. Like, I mean. Yeah, again, his son do it a lot. So, I don't know. I was just, that was like, and it was also like a great team move. But Son, Son's presence in the box was 
I, I thought I was more in the moment, like, wowed by than the absolute stunner. <laughs> he's like, I feel like Spurs fans get fixated a little bit, or maybe football fans in general, and like that he's a streaky player or whatever. But I think especially over the last few years, he's become a remarkably consistent goal scorer, which isn't to say he doesn't have like a stretch of bad games here or there. I mean, he didn't start the year off very hot. Uh, you know, this game – the last few games, he's been a little he's been a little cold. But I think something that I find interesting about Son and also Kane, honestly, but I think Son in particular is, and you, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he really blossomed as a goal scorer under Mourinho, which is I'm not happy to give Mourinho credit for anything, but I've got to imagine he has something to do with it. I mean, he was a very good player under Pochettino, and maybe it's just as simple as Mourinho puts so much of the attacking onus on him and Kane or the goal scoring onus on him and Kane. But I mean, I think his goal scoring has really taken a, took a step up during those Mourinho years. And it's, you know, I think it's continued under Conte. So it's, it's clearly, I think something that's been learned beyond just tactics, but I mean, am I I wrong about that? Was he always as good? It's just, he's more of a focal point. I mean, did something change under Mourinho? What do you guys think about that? I mean, I think, yes, that that him being more of a focal point of Mourinho's tactic, we were shoving, you know, nine men behind the ball and the plan was Harry kicks it to Sonny. Um, you know, th- I think that forced him to become more of a focal point. I think his finishing was always pretty good, and especially in the last season and a half of Pochettino, or well, the last season under Pochettino, he did a, he showed a lot more of the ability to be that guy. And then once Mourinho came in and then the, the mostly full Mourinho season um, before Ryan Mason comes in, uh, that's when son, it's like, Oh, he's the, He's the guy that's going to score all the goals now. Um, it's uh, I I think honestly it's been kind of a, a a product of we play a lot more on the counter than we used to with um, under Pochettino. Like we we aren't in settled attacking positions too often, and I think that's one of the times where Sun's game struggles because he's not as good in tight spaces is like a Harry Kane is. Um, and he does need like a little bit of space to get his shot off or one of those long, uh, long distance um, goals or whatever. But uh, yeah, I, I think the fact that we play more on the counter, that he's able to run at guys that he's getting, you know, good angles to cut in from and that he's getting space to get these shots off that has helped him immensely in the last few seasons. Well, he's such an interesting player because he's so fast, but it's not like he's Jermaine Defoe, who I felt like, you know, or a speed, or even like Bale in his prime, where it's like, it's this sort of combination of speed and technical prowess that makes him just such a unique threat. And I, I see exactly what you mean, Ryan. Like, you know, that, that sort of like increased focus on counterattacks has made us a little more, you know, sort of catered his game a little bit more. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, Dembele doesn't look as good in this system where we have to spring long passes. Like, Dembele looks good, though, when we are 
building up patiently from the back and then we have to break a couple of lines to open up the attack like you know it's it's the the change in system has benefited some players and you know been worse for others but you know like sun uh very much benefits from playing like this i think kulisevsky benefits from playing like this um you know kane i think is probably indifferent to the way we play as long as he scores um but yeah yeah, Dembele's been terrible this season. You're right. Yeah, horrible. Hasn't has, I mean, barely seen the pitch, honestly. It's a real, real problem. Yeah, I think the other thing, you know, besides just being a focal point, is our attack has just increasingly narrowed down to Sun and Kane, um, you know, for a while now. You know, we were playing the desk attack, and goals were being shared among Deli and Erickson and Sun and Kane. It's just, he's just playing a very, a much well, more I, selfless role. He's not asked to get as many shots. He's not expected to be yeah no no, but i think it's interesting that you you throw kulishevsky in the mix who is in theory doing a little bit of what you're talking about taking some goals some possession away and all it's done is help son i think sons look like an even better player since kulishevsky got in the mix and i mean i know it's sort of in some ways it sounds stupid what i'm saying like oh we put a really good attacker in our final third who can facilitate with assists and shots and possession and naturally it helps him out but you know i mean for a guy who I probably would have said back in, you know, a year ago, like part of what makes him better is that we're just funneling everything through him. I mean, it hasn't, we haven't seen like sort of a drop off in returns from Sun. I mean, at some level, you, just, you make the team better. We're scoring more goals. He's going to get a lot more. But he's still okay. scoring at that rate. I mean, it's crazy to watch. Oh, man, I, I just, I hope he gets a golden boot, man. He's so, man. I just want everything nice to happen for Sun. He's such a great guy. <laughs> Especially with the it's going to be really hard for him to get the golden boot when Salah scores six against us this weekend. So, oh, okay, happy. Brian, yeah, we're due. One of these days, we're due. I mean, probably not this weekend, but not against Liverpool. We're not allowed to beat them ever. Well, Ben, you look like I, you have something depressing you want to say. <laughs> no, I just want to talk about the other attacking star. Um, on this team that we haven't mentioned yet, and that's Christian Romero. Yes, <laughs> yes, just the, that oh, maniac God. in defense. I mean, those two tackles to set the, that goal on its way were just like, what a what a fucking tank! And like he's so quick, he he just like comes out of nowhere, blasts a guy, and then does it a second time. It's just. Romero reminds me of Kulishevsky in a lot of ways. I know that sounds like a weird comparison, but he is just not and he's not an immediately impressive player in terms of like when you look at like he's not big, he's not particularly fast, he's not like you know, he just does everything well and the way he reads the game, it's nuts. Like the guy's a psychopath, but he always like you know, he, he never he never goes too far with his crazy challenges when he's trying to cripple Carlson on the pitch. He's like, you know, he see, like, he just decides to tackle a guy in midfield and somehow it works out and turns into an assist. I mean, his ability to read the game is – I don't think I've ever seen anything like it, especially in defense. And, you know, we got to watch Ledley King for years, who was not – certainly not a chump when it came to reading reading, you know, the game. I mean the the second tackle in that move. I mean, if he's a second later, he's getting sent off. Like 
It, but he's like, not. The, the margin for error was very slim there. And he hit it, you know, exactly right. So, you know, great for him. Um, I would, you, as with uh, many of our Argentine players, past and present, I wish he died back just a little bit. Um, that would be nice. But, uh, but, but, but he wouldn't be as much fun if he did. So I understand why he has to be like at 11 at all times. But I mean, my God, he, he, he we could have not had him against Liverpool and that okay, would have been really so annoying. Here's, here's my question. Will Liverpool fans be starting a change.org petition to get Romero banned from the Premier League before or after the match? Because, or during or after the match? Because, I think Liverpool's the team that I think is going to develop a very deep-seated hatred of Romero before too long. Yeah, unquestionably. I mean, something that isn't going to get called a penalty or he'll win a penalty or he'll – he's going to do something that sets them off. You're right. I mean, they they are always very quick to look for any kind of grievance. and He is a guy who is going to be happy to give them one. I just want to say – I hope he's in the of, box in like the 80th minute. I'm very proud of all the Romero Liverpool jokes I just didn't make, so I just want to like pat myself on the back for the restraint I just showed there. Um, yeah, no, he's just he's a maniac. I mean, it's like honestly, it's like what Lamella used to do, but better because it's just like like it's kind of like there's never like a like you said, Brian. Like you think about that tackle, and it's like oh, if it was a like a second later, he would have gotten sent off, but like. I feel like with Romero, it's this, like, cumulative effect of, like, you sort of realize 60 minutes into a match, like, boy, he's got, he's, like, playing it kind of loose, huh? There's never that, like, Eric Lamella, you know, like, I elbowed you in your balls when no one was looking, and, like, man, if the ref sees that, it could you could get in trouble. It's, like, with Romero, it just sort of builds up over the course of the match, but he just never seems to cross that line. I think it's also amazing. Yeah. <laughs> was, sorry. Uh, <laughs> he's stopped getting yellow cards every game. He's gone six games without a yellow card. And, like, it it seemed like a given, you know. It was just like, when is he going to get a yellow card? And when is that going to turn into a second yellow? And we're going to have to do without him. And he hasn't gotten any less of a shithead. I, I don't can't know if, imagine. I can't imagine he doesn't have a rep by now, like amongst referees or players. Like they've got to be looking for it, right? Yeah, and like I don't know. I mean, like yes, we've you know talked about how some of the refing lately has been uh, in service of violence, which certainly plays to his proclivities. But I do wonder if he sort of figured out how to get away with it more um, in this league. I I don't think there's any who there's any. I, I think it speaks to Romero that. Uh, how good he is at this. Did he, I think he broke someone's collarbone against Villa and no one was what, right. I'm not, I'm not making that up at the end of the match. Was it? Who was yeah, it? Look at yeah. Yeah. He broke his collarbone at the end of the match in a retaliation and a totally like, like it was all like, there was no reason to do what he did beyond like payback for everything that had been going on in the match. And there wasn't any discussion of like, oh man, should he get a yellow card for this? He just like, he just completely got away with it. It's great. Yeah, I mean, it is great that he got away with it, but I think in that specific situation, he wasn't like 
malicious. Like, I don't, oh, he not like didn't like walk up to him and karate kick him in his collarbone and break it. No, like, I think he meant Luca Dean fell though. funny. No, no. I, see, I disagree. I think he meant to hurt him there. I think, I think Romero absolutely meant to hurt him there. And um, I don't know if he meant to break anything, but I think he absolutely meant to hurt him. He's great. I mean, he's wonderful. A little, he's a little bit of violence is fine. Why not? I mean, he's just he's. I think that's what makes him so good. It, it's so much fun to watch. Is like it's it's violence, but like, yeah, he also is like. Read the game better than almost anyone on the pitch, maybe except with the exception of Harry Kane. Like, I mean, his passing's great. His ability, I think what's really impressive is his recovery ability. And I don't mean his ability to like track back. I mean, like when he screws up, he fixes it. And whether that's like with a tactical foul that doesn't go too far, but stops play or whether it's, I'm going to run back there, get possession and pass my way out of it. He's just an incredible player. He's really good. Honestly, Given Atalanta, I'm like I'm, I'm going to confess, I did not know a lot about Christian Romero before we were linked with him, and I we know some big nerds who love Atalanta, and like this is not a name that came up a lot, and I'm a little surprised his profile wasn't higher when we bought him. This guy is, I mean, just I, I know Barty on the extra inch talks about hell. He's the best best center back that. Uh, he's ever seen at Spurs. And I know that's designed to be a little bit provocative, but it's also probably not wrong. I just love that. I can never tell where he might be on the field at any given time. Oh yeah. Like, like, you know, (laughs) you know, this isn't a comment on his ability as, as a defender or whatever, but like his um, interpretation of his role within this system he has a lot more license than pretty much everybody not named Kane and Son. And I I find it very interesting that Antonio Conte, who is a man who is very strictly in control of where players are and are not, has just, uh, you know, acquiesced to the fact that I have no idea where he'll be. Like, he might be in the box. And I don't know. And, or you know, It's great. I, I love it. I think you can tell with, like, even with control freaks, there's, like, special players that they're kind of, like, I trust you to do whatever. Like, these are the things I need you to do. Otherwise, go nuts because I trust you because you're so good. And he's clearly that with Conte. It's, and the, he he was out for, like, he played, like, what, one match for Conte, and then he was hurt for, like, four months. And he just, like, came back, and Conte is totally willing to indulge his, like, <laughs> completely erratic positional sets is is amazing and it probably speaks to how good he is that Conte is just has no problem with it at all yeah and i mean maybe maybe that actually speaks to how good he is tactically or how good his positional sense is that he's able to do those things and then still get back into position and you know perform uh, you know, in a way that Conte wants and expects. Like maybe, maybe it's not that he is ill-disciplined or that he, you know, just is well, interpreting the role freely. Yeah, I don't think he's but ill-disciplined it's just, at all. Yeah, so I, I mean, maybe his just game intelligence is is that high that he his he's like, no, I can be forward here, totally fine, uh, and and nothing happens. I mean, the like, only thing he needs to improve on is is his is reading reading aerial. Or balls in the air because he gets beaten a little bit on headers sometimes. Other than that, I, no notes. Perfect. I mean, it's like 
it's rare to have a guy who's a maniac who doesn't feel like a liability. Yeah. And like Eric Ella always felt a bit of a liability. It was awesome, but like you were just waiting for something to go wrong. And like Even with though Romero, it rarely did. It rarely did with Lamella. Like he never yeah. got sent off until the very end. It's true. Um, but he felt like a liability. <laughs> and like Romero he had to get never subbed off a lot. He had to get subbed off a lot. You never feel like that with Romero. Right. You never he, he keeps it within the lines. He takes risks and covers them well. He's just like you feel like he's got it. You know, I'm like, maybe that'll change the day he makes a big glaring mistake. And, and maybe that'll be this weekend. <laughs> but he's done that. He's done that. He's blown some headers. Like we, we've, we've lost some points because he's blown headers. But even that just, just, you know, it's, man, he's so good. I mean, I, even, I'm totally willing to overlook it because he's just so good. Like, I mean, we've definitely never conceded a goal because he was like out of position yes. because he was like in the box, like. We haven't ever given up a goal because he went like marauding forward and then wasn't back to stop an attack. We haven't had that issue yet. Um, and I guess, you know, look, Spurs have always been frail on set pieces, so I can kind of live with him not being great at that. Maybe maybe what we got to do is lean into buying a big guy to play on the left um, to, to make up for that from Romero. But whatever, like um, that sort of stuff I'm willing to forgive. Um yeah, I think I think we, you know, like Ben said, he doesn't feel like a liability, and you definitely feel that way with lots of like the kind of modern era sort of maverick defender type, like David David Louise or however we're pronouncing that name today. Um, you know, Louise always felt like he was good yes. for something stupid. Well, no, and Louis, he, he was he was a really good field. player for a bunch of really good teams for a, a long time. And and even he, you were like, he's going to fuck up at some point in this game. Um, you don't feel that way with Romero. Yeah, it's it's Louise would get forward and do good things. But, yeah, you, I mean, he was always untrustworthy in defense. You know, it was like, what was the joke about him? He was like a PlayStation player because, you know, it was just like, oh, get up there and try something. You know, but, but you know, if I see Romero in the box, the other team's box, I, I don't have that, like, if I see – if I see Dyer or Davies like far up the pitch, well, also Davies, but if I see Dyer far up the pitch, there's like part of my brain that just goes, "What's he doing?" Like even if it's like totally fine, it's there's part of my brain that goes, "What's he doing?" And I never have that thought about Romero. He's just so good. I trust if he's up there, I trust that he knows what he's doing. Yeah, we got some good boys. He's he's, he's amazing. He's incredible. Um. So, yeah, I think uh, we don't always talk about, and by all, we don't always, I mean, we virtually never talk about the game coming up, but I think it's worth it this week because it's a pretty big match. We played Liverpool on Saturday. Uh, this is a big one. I don't know. Like, our first game against Liverpool this year was really, I think, where a lot of us like started to dream on what we could do under Conte because we played so well against them. Uh, we have rotten luck. Uh, it's at Anfield, right? I'm not, I'm, I'm not mistaken about that. Couldn't tell you. <laughs> Couldn't tell you? Okay, I'll look that up while I keep talking. But um, so this is the kind of excellent production values you get on this podcast, ladies and germs. Um, it is at Anfield. It is at Anfield. Yeah, you were, okay, you were correct, Greg. Congratulations. Yes, as always. Just like Christian Romero, I get out over my skis, but I'm right anyway. Um, yeah, it's uh, – I don't know. We never have a lot of luck playing Liverpool. We certainly don't have a lot of luck up there. But And this is obviously an important match because if Spurs can win out, 
Um, there's nothing Arsenal can do about it, and we'll finish in Champions League places. Uh, I'm hoping Arsenal – or, I'm sorry, I'm hoping Liverpool are a little exhausted from their uh, midweek match against Villarreal, but I'm not counting on that. Um, I don't know. I don't feel good about this, but I just don't ever feel good about a match against Liverpool. Uh, I don't know. How are you guys feeling going into this one? Brian, we'll start with you. Um, I mean – I would have liked it. I would have felt a lot better if that Villarreal game had gone to extra time um, <laughs> in, instead of Liverpool scoring three goals in the second half and then just being out of sight. Um, but whatever. Uh, nah, I, look, Liverpool are really, really good this year. And they, they, they've got so many guys that can beat you. Even if they rotate that front three, front four is still really effective. Um, you know, I I don't know. I, I I don't I don't feel particularly confident. No, but you know, we've well, been playing well with the exception of Brentford and Brighton. You know, our front three is really clicking. Maybe we can make it happen. I don't know. Ben, <laughs> I mean, I think. I think we just never have belief going into a game against Liverpool. But, you know, I think you're right. We showed last time that we are capable of playing with them. We are better suited to a game against a team who wants to play football than a team who doesn't. Um, you know, it's it's going to be tough. Uh, they've had a midweek game. They kind of had to work for it. That plays in our advantage. Um, you know, we both have a lot to play for. Liverpool. We'll need this to stay in the title race, and we obviously need this to stay in the top four race. So, I don't think I don't think it's gonna be a dull game by any means. Um, you know, never, we've got the it back- never is. It never no. is. Except for finally off the one we saw in preseason in Baltimore all those years ago. Well, that's a preseason <laughs> game. God, that was. Um, I mean, I don't but, know, you know, Ben. What do you? He he strokes are fun, right? Yeah. No, I think I mean I think the real story of the of the game is it's the battle of the January signings between Luis so, Diaz Kulosevsky. Like there's this perception amongst I feel like everybody but Spurs fans that Diaz has been a better sign. I think Diaz has been good, but I mean my perception is he's been just a a good to great bench option as opposed to I don't know do. You, what do you guys think about this? Because I think Kulishevsky's been the better player, which isn't to say that Diaz wasn't a good purchase. And I think a lot of it, it me, like is about Kulishevsky sort of fitting our needs in a very specific way. But I'm kind of happy it worked out the way it did. Am I a crazy person? No, I I think that's perfectly reasonable. I mean, I think I think Diaz fits really well what Liverpool wants to do. I think he's been pretty good. He's come in and he's. He's actually kind of made them bench Diego Jota, who'd been playing really well um, at times. And, you know, he's older than Kulisevsky. He's like, what, he's 25 already, I think. And he, like you said, he, he plays a different role. He's a goal scorer. He's an attacker, whereas, you know, uh, Kulisevsky has been more effective um, as a ball progressor, as a facilitator. Um and yeah, I think I think it worked out fine ultimately for Spurs. If you were asking me, would I also like to have Luis Diaz? Like, yeah, sure, that'd be great to have him too. Um, but I think we're probably better off for having gotten Kulisevsky instead. In terms, 
I think I agree as well. I think in terms of quality of signing, you know, when you're comparing them to their effects on their teams, Kulishevsky has been a transformative signing for us. Whereas Liverpool's attack was so good, you can't really make a transformative signing. You know, all you can do is get a guy who you could slot in there without any drop in quality. And like, they've basically done that, you know, they can play him on the left and with, instead of Mane, or they can bench Jota and shove Mane up top. Like, he just sort of fits in wherever they've got four guys that they can play in three spots. And that's great for them. Um, he's not better than Salah. He's not better, I think, than, you know, Jota or Mane necessarily. But he's just as good as those guys um, and contributes just as much. So, you know, I'm happy we got what we got because it made a humongous difference to how we're capable of playing. Well, I just think that's the thing about Diaz. Like, I don't want to say Diaz wouldn't have helped Spurs, but Kulisevsky just answers so many of the questions that we had around this club. How are we going to knit the attack together? How are we going to play with these guys? Who's going to take Lucas Morris' spot on the right? Like, you know, Diaz is a worse fit for Spurs. And, you know, it's probably one of those transfers where it's not good or bad for anyone. It's just, like, these guys are better. Like you said, Ben, he sort of slots into what Liverpool's doing very easily. And, you know, like you said, Brian – you know, could we use another attacker like Diaz? Sure, but like probably what we needed most was someone who can pass and assist in the way that Kulishevsky can. And the, the fact that he could also score some goals is, you know, that doesn't hurt either. Yeah, either way, I would just like Kulishevsky to have the better day at the office. Yes, yes. <laughs> I would like his fat ass to put Diaz, Diaz on the ground, so. Do you think so? The the first Liverpool game was the only game I think that Conte's played the three five two really um, at Spurs. Do you think he springs something like that again, or does he just roll with what he's been rolling with? I think he rolls with what he's been rolling with. I mean, I guess you could move Kulisevsky or Kane kind of more nominally. I guess Kulisevsky more than Kane, obviously. Um, move him more nominally into like a midfield role. And I think oh, Kane wow. is definitely going to be... I think Kane is going to be doing a lot of that, to be fair, but... Probably. I mean, I think definitely you'll we'll see a lot of passes kind of into the, the, the channel, the right-back channel uh, that gets Ugh. vacated by Alexander-Arnold and... Sun will be coming in off the left trying to make something happen. Like, I think we're going to see that all game. Just means that Alexander-Arnold is going to be against, I don't know, Sessegnon or Reguilon and Ben Davis. And I guess you just hope that Sessegnon has a good game as opposed to some of the games he's been having. But Yeah, we'll I mean, see. just, I, just as, as long as we get close to him, maybe that'd be nice. Uh, is anyone disappointed that we didn't get another chapter of the uh, quote-unquote greatest rivalry in the history of soccer uh, with uh, C- with City going out today? Like, I really wasn't ready for the uh, build-up for a City-Liverpool final. I was just not feeling that at all. I-, I was sick of it before it even happened. Yeah, I mean, I don't particularly like either of those teams. I think it's incredibly funny if city for all their ill-gotten gains and never wins a champions league um you know we don't have a we don't get a lot of of shame freud with good teams that just 
are good and win things. So seeing City fail at this hurdle over and over again, see PSG fail at this over and over again, you know, it's it's a small victory that we, we can all take from a bad world. It is very I was funny. just really annoyed that in the commentary for the City, they're talking about all these great comebacks in Champions League, and they did not mention Spurs a single time. <laughs> yeah, I was well, just annoyed that another team. Uh, I was annoyed that another team besides us was ruining City's day. Like, you know, I thought that was a Tottenham thing. Maybe Luka Modric is there, so it kind of counts. But yeah, yeah. No, if it had been Modric and Bale that ruined it, that would have been great. It would have. So um, I think it was Salah, could have been anybody on Liverpool, saying that they wanted another shot yeah. at Real Madrid final. Uh, because they lost the first one. And so having them, you know, choose the form of their destructor and then lose on Madrid. Uh, I hope else? you're right. I mean, I'm not going to count Madrid out because they are like, it's, it's, I feel like they are mainlining like Cardinals devil magic right now. But like, boy, it sure feels like Liverpool is just going to like just curb stop them and beat the shit out of Real Madrid. Like, I don't know. It feels like kind of like, it, it feels kind of like our, I mean, I know they've got better players than we had, but like, it feels kind of like our Champions League run where like sooner or later their luck's going to run out. Yeah, they're a team who clearly doesn't deserve to be there, who have had some really amazing performances or... See, I'm not sure I totally agree with that, but they just keep riding their luck until... I mean, it's just been late goal after late goal, like, you know, Benzema in the 80th minute, 90th minute. It's like... But it's also Benzema. It's It's like Benzema. Like, I mean, is that undeserved? Like, I mean, he's one of the best strikers in the world. I mean, it's like it's Rodrigo off the bench today. Yeah. That's You know, it's it's just as stupid. They are still Real Madrid, but, yeah, them giving up a fucking handball penalty in the first minute, uh, we'll know exactly how this is going. I mean, they'll at least have a fully fit Benzema. We didn't have a we didn't have Harry Kane fully fit, and That's it's Harry fair. Kane, so you know. yeah. But they don't have Fernando. They so. don't. No, they, they don't. don't. Or Musa Sissoko. So who knows? <laughs> I don't know which way that 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 leans, Brian. So I don't know. I'm just who so can sick say like, Musa Sissoko giveth, Musa Sissoko taketh away. It's so interesting with like the Liverpool Man City. Conflict. I don't know. Like people are trying to hype it up as a rivalry, and like they are obviously like two of the best teams. Like if not the two best teams in the in the world, like two of the best teams in the world, and they're going for several titles and cups against each other. But there is just such little. There's no juice to this rivalry. Like the players don't hate each other. There's no animosity. There's no friction. Like, all the managers talk about how much they love each other, and they're, like, handshaking about what fucking great football they played with each other after the game. It's it's the worst. Like, Klopp needs to, like, talk about Pep's mother before I care about that. Like, it's just, you know, like, there needs to be some hatred. You know, there needs to be some juice to this rivalry. Like, and there's just none. There's absolutely none. And I'm 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 glad we're not going to be subjected to, like, two or three, whatever the hell, the, how many weeks there are until the Champions League final. Like, all this hype pretending that it's like something that people are actually emotionally invested in. I mean, it's hard to have a real rivalry when one team doesn't even have a fan base, you know, it's just, there's nothing there. Trying to think of a good joke about Liverpool fans to follow it up with, but I'm, 
at a loss. So I'm just going to leave it there. Uh, I think None of them should probably say on the podcast. Wasn't going to go there, but you're probably right, Brian. Uh, on that note, I think it's time to wrap this up. Uh, ben, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Comrade Uspers. Brian, how about you? Did you mute yourself? Uh, you find no, I uh, <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, I just you broke up, and then I was like, maybe Greg is doing the longest intro he's ever done to this. Uh, <clears throat> on Twitter at ah oh, fuck, what's my Twitter handle? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I hope all this gets edited. Who knows? It's no, Greg. I don't it know. How... <laughs> I didn't figure. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. And you can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079. Uh, don't forget to follow our Twitter feed at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. For Ben, for Brian, and of course for Brett Rainbow, I have been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs. <laughs>